May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Maybe I am alone in this, but I, I think I have told you before that I argue with the gospel very often. And today was one of those gospel readings where I'm like, really, Jesus, you give us a Pharisee or a tax collector? I mean, that's who we're to choose from? I mean, couldn't the other person praying be a kindly, loving widow who has been feeding the people of the community with the little that she received from her pension? No, we have to have a tax collector. And we are asked to see the tax collector as the hero in this. And I'm thinking, you know, we know about tax collectors. And it's all very well that he's in the temple right now beating his heart and saying, God, I'm a sinner, God, I'm a sinner. But is he going to go out after this and change his life? Because if he didn't, then I don't want to be identified with him. And then I reread the gospel and realized that the story wasn't really about whether you are a Pharisee or a tax collector. The story is tied up in these words. Those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Trusted in themselves. So the Pharisee is saying, God, you know, I'm great. And I know you know I'm great, and thank you for making me great. But no, he's not even saying thank you for making me great. He's saying, God, I am great because of me. So really, he is saying he really doesn't need God. And that is the crux of the matter. That indeed, it is when we acknowledge that we need God with everything in us. It is when we are both bold and humble enough to confess to God fully who we are and what we have done, that God stands ready to bless us. That what we are challenged with in this reading is not who is the real sinner or who is not the real sinner or who is the little bit better sinner than the other. What we are challenged with is who admits their absolute need for God. And maybe the tax collector, after making this confession, leaves and does change his life, repent, and stop cheating his fellow people out of their money. And maybe he doesn't. But for God, the importance is in his acknowledgement that in my sinfulness, 
in my humanness, I absolutely need you, God. I need you to hear me when I claim my sinfulness. And I need you then to bestow on me the promise that you have promised God's people from beyond time. Now I'm going to show my age here a little bit. Um, and I was confirmed when I was 11 years old. And when I was confirmed, you could not receive communion until you had been confirmed. See, shows you how old I am, right? Um, and before your confirmation, you did your first confession. And I remember worrying about this confession and going to our priest before I did my confession and saying, do I have to tell you everything? I mean, like everything I've done, all the terrible things I've done. Because by the time you're 11, you can do a lot of terrible things, especially when you have three siblings. But I was like, do I have to tell you everything? I mean, do I have to tell you everything? And he said to me, well, you know, really, you're not telling me. Um, I stand here to receive your confession on behalf of God's people, on behalf of God's church. Really, you are confessing to God. And do you think God doesn't know yet all the terrible things you've done? So really, this confession isn't really for God or for me. It's for you. It is for you. It is an opportunity for you to bear your soul, to empty that burden that you carry for the sins you have committed and place those sins in the hands of God who loves you. So confession isn't an opportunity for me as your priest to hold these things over your head. It is an opportunity for you as a child of God to free yourself of the burden and know that it is held by someone who even as she knows all the terrible things you have done, loves you with an infinite love that has been the same from the time that she saw you in your mother's womb. I still was a little bit antsy about that confession. But it, that did make me feel better. And it did put confession in a different perspective for me and did therefore help me when I struggled with passages like this to realize that what this parable is about is not about who is in the story because we are all in the story. And we are not asked to be in the story as a Pharisee or a tax collector. We are asked to be in the story as humans who recognize that we fall short over and over, but we have a God 
who is willing to meet us more than halfway. Our Old Testament lesson talks about a glorious time, but it is a glorious time that follows a terrible time. And the glorious time is made possible by the people confessing their sins and confessing their need for God. When I was growing up, I would often hear my father talking to people and he would see one of the things that he loved to say was that he thought that it was easier to be a Christian in a time and a place of oppression than to be a Christian in a time and place where you are privileged. And I would always say, um, no. Because if my life was great, I would be the best Christian ever. If I didn't have to worry about oppression, I would be in the temple day and night praising God. Well, not day and night, but I would be there a lot praising God. So if my life were not that of a black child under apartheid, I would have been an A number one Christian, or at least that's what I claimed. And as I grew older, I came to realize what it was, in fact, that my father was trying to say. He was not saying that oppressed people are somehow just because they are oppressed more holy. But he was saying that living under oppression makes you realize how much you need God. How much you need God often just to get out of bed in the morning and go about your daily life when you know all the things that can go wrong for you as an oppressed person. That it is easier when you are someone who is suffering to recognize how little you are without God and without God's love. And how sometimes when you're privileged and comfortable, you can forget the daily, the minute, hourly need for God. That you can start to believe that, you know, I, I'm doing well, I've done well by myself, I have made my life comfortable, I have managed to have a good life. And so I'll go in and check in on God on Sundays and say, you know, hi, God, I'm here Sunday morning. Yeah, good to see you. Hope you're happy to see me too. But that most of the rest of your time, you can ignore the need for God because you can be so comfortable in your privilege and so sure that this is about you, about what you have done or your parents have done to make your life this wonderful life. Last week, a group of us went with members of Grace Covenant to Montgomery to the Equal Justice um, museum and the lynching memorial. And 
I have to say that walking through that museum and seeing those pictures of people at, gathered at lynchings and watching, sometimes with glee, as another human being was tortured, that I, I wondered what, what humanity is there or is not there. And as I walked through the memorial itself, and the lynching memorial, when you start off, the monuments are next to you. They are planted in the ground, and so you walk beside them. And as you walk, the memorials go up into the sky and are held above you, and you start walking down. And as I walked down, I felt the heaviness. And you are forced to look up as we saw in the pictures, people looking up at lynched human beings. And I thought, what humanity or what lack of humanity was going on there? But I went even beyond that because it struck me that this nation has never fully confessed that dehumanization, the slavery, lynching, Jim Crow, that this nation kind of like People who are privileged are able to say what I have, I have done on my own. I can ignore the things that don't make me look good. I don't need to confess. And yet, because we don't have a confession, we have that continuing weight. And what our gospel and our Hebrew Testament tell us is that we have a God who is waiting, just waiting for us to even utter the want to confess, to even utter just a little bit to say, my Lord and my God, I have failed. And God is waiting then to bless us with an abundance we cannot imagine. I reflected back on the experience in South Africa of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission which asked the perpetrators of human rights violations to come before the country and tell the truth of their acts. And I remembered in particular the story of Amy Beale, a young Fulbright scholar from the US who was killed a few days before our first democratic election. And 
three young men were sentenced to prison for her murder. And when the TRC was established, they came and applied for amnesty and told the whole story of what had happened that day. And sitting, listening to their amnesty application were Amy's parents. The TRC gave the young men amnesty because it was clear that their act was a political one. But more importantly, Amy's parents listened to these young men and said, we forgive. And not only did they forgive, they built a relationship with these young men and the community that they had come from. And with them, they built a development agency in the township that these young men were from and offered uh, um, educational opportunities, job training and job creation, and they built a better place not just for these young men, but for all from that community. They heard the confession, they heard the truth in these young men's story, and they went more than halfway to meet and heal and bless. If human parents can find it in themselves to not simply forgive, but to be in relationship with those who have killed their child. What more our God, who says, just turn to me and I will bless you with abundance. And so we gather at this table giving thanks to a God who meets us more than halfway. And we pray, God, open our eyes to see your hand at work in the world about us. Deliver us from the presumption of coming to this table for solace only and not for strength for pardon only, and not for renewal. Amen.